And so that was perhaps the biggest failure because like never could I go back and just say to those people um, that I would never have expected that from them. So you, you can't be a leader and tell people do as I say, not as I do. It just doesn't work that way. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, I want to welcome Lisa Stoner. Lisa is the global head of support operations at Uber and chairwoman of Uber. Okay, first of all, Lisa, welcome. And then you've got to tell our listeners, what does global head of support operations mean? <laughs> By the way, I'm the chairwoman of women of Uber, not the chairperson of Uber overall, just to be clear. Although that's, you know I swear to that, yeah. Can we change that? <laughs> yeah. We can put it out in the universe and just make it so... Maybe I was feeling that. Maybe I maybe I'm like I can see the future. There Possible. it is. Run sugar, watch yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, um, head of support operations. What's that mean? Yeah. So the global head of support operations. Yes. In English, what that means is I'm responsible for uh, six different pillars at Uber. So the first one is solutioning. And so what that means is when we're trying to make a decision around insourcing or outsourcing or, or servicing something new, which as you can imagine happens at Uber a lot. Someone has to take yes. an idea and make it so, right? Make it real. So there's a woman who leads a solutioning function. And by that, it's it's related to customer care. Um, so we do RFPs or procure or create solutions for customer care. Uh, global workforce management. So it's maximizing the schedules and the customer service experience through workforce planning. Uh, for the global Uber. So everything from our contact centers, our external business process outsourcers, and our, our green lights, which are, think of it like a retail store, but yeah. physical um, places where drivers have to go for things like, you know, vehicle emissions inspections, as an example, in some parts of the world. Um, I have global learning and development, uh, global content. So things that um, information we share with customers through our help center, or um, the systems that agents use to provide information to customers, as an example, uh, global quality, and then kind of the classic vendor management of, of contact centers that support customer care. Lisa, did you <laughs> ever think that you would have such a big job? Um, I don't know if I ever thought about it like that, but... but it's a big job. It's a it's a grueling and exciting job. It's a big job. Yeah, it, it's a big job. So um, growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? I desperately wanted to be a lawyer. What happened? <laughs> Do you know, it's so, <laughs> it's so funny because like you think about that as an aspiration. Like I desperately wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was like in kindergarten. Um what happened was uh, I just didn't do that, right? And then I, but, and I got married pretty young. I kept thinking about going back to law school, but logistically um, it never worked out. But it's funny you should ask me that question because I did register for the LSAT. I'm taking it in August. And what? yeah, seriously, because <laughs> I, I said, I was like, yeah, it's like I, was, I had this dream. I never did it. And I was like, you know. Listeners, <laughs> that's amazing. 
Do you, okay, do you think this is because of COVID or do you just think in general you were like, you, it was on your bucket list, you knew you needed to do it, you wanted to do it? It's just always been on my list and it, wow. it's always been on that list. And I, I took the LSAT like, you know, whatever, 25 years ago, I ended up going to business school instead. Um, but I've done a lot of volunteer work around with child advocacy and I've been thinking a lot about how, what I might do in the future, um, yes. either from a volunteer perspective or you know, being on a volunteer board or just personally. And um, I thought that maybe a law degree would be helpful. And Georgia State, I live in Atlanta, um, happens to have a part-time, like an evening program. So even if it weren't COVID, there's a universe where I could just go part-time to night school and, and do a law degree that way. What, if it wasn't a COVID like instigator, what, why now? You know, um, I will say one thing about coming to Uber. I'm around all these people that are so, every person you meet is smarter than the next person. And everyone yeah. you meet has their own story and are inspiring in this different way. And everyone I meet, I'm like, I just think to myself like, oh my God, like <laughs> they're like, they're just doing so much more than I am. Like, what am I doing in my life? And so I just found it really inspiring. And the, the other thing I would say is that when I came to Uber, um, I had forgotten how much I liked to learn. And so it's, yeah. And I like things that are new and it's a really exciting, incredibly stimulating place. And I wanted to make sure that I found other parts of my life where I could get that kind of gratification too. But so it's like a, it's a fulfillment of a dream. It yeah. may sound like a bizarre, yeah, like it's not a very fairy tale dream for a little kid, but that's what I wanted. <laughs> this is what I wanted to do. So that's extraordinary. You're feeling, fulfilling one of your buckets you, when we talked before we started recording, you were like, oh, it's an interesting story on how I got to this position at Uber. You want to share that? Yeah. You know, so I, I think I told you this. So I worked at Convergis for 20 years, uh, which is a really long it's a time. Long time. <laughs> it's a really long time, right? To work at one company. But, um, you know, first of all, Convergis was a great employer for me. I had a lot of mentorship. And the one thing that I'll say defined my career in many ways was the fact that nearly, gosh, probably 18 or 19 years ago, by at this point, uh, I was allowed to work from home. So I had to work from okay. home job, you know, before it was remotely, a remotely thing. a thing, right? It was so much not a thing that I wasn't even really supposed to tell people at work that I was working from home. That I used to tell people that I worked from the New Orleans office which was, we didn't, we didn't have a New Orleans office, but nobody really knew that. Like, so the, the New Orleans office was this like crappy back bedroom in this, you know, little house that my um, husband and I rented. And so, so the Convergis was good to me. And, and I, I, I learned a lot and I formed some lifelong friendships, but, um, but I stayed longer than I should have. I stayed too long um, just by a couple of years because I wasn't, I wasn't learning as much as I used to. I wasn't contributing to the degree that I, I should have, and I wasn't excited. And because I wasn't excited, I wasn't particularly inspiring to anybody. Right? I mean, I, mean, I, did, I did a good job. I wasn't, didn't become incompetent. Sure. But it just, um, it, it probably would have been better for, for me and the organization if I had left a couple of years earlier um, because I was unhappy. But one of the primary reasons that I was unhappy is that um, – I had a child who was going into his senior year of high school and okay. I had worked my whole entire life since I was 14 years old. 
um, I had gotten divorced from my son's father and for a period of time before I remarried, I was a single mother and I was really close to um, my son and daughter and my, my, my oldest child, my son is getting ready to go off to college. And I was just um, suddenly like struck by how quickly time passes and mm. how you just never get that time back. And, uh, but working was a huge part of my identity. And also, you know, it wasn't a choice. I was, I was divorced. Right. And I, <laughs> I needed to have a job. So it, I both, I both yeah. loved it, but it wasn't like, um, you didn't have the financial no. freedom to be like, ah, I'm not going to work this no, year. No, 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 but by the, but by, by right. the time he got to be 18, I, I did. Yeah. Right. But it was still like this agonizing thing. So anyway, what happened was on my, my, uh, I, I left Convergence to take a sabbatical for a year. That was my plan. And it took me like two years to work up the courage to do that. And the CEO at the time was a woman named Andrea Ayers was very supportive. She herself had been a single mother, but on my last day of work, I was like sitting in Cincinnati having lunch with Andrea. And I was like crying my eyes out. Like, like, <laughs> like um, cause it was emotional to leave the job of 20 years. And, she was like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do um, anything anybody asks me to do, I'm going to do. If I get invited to anything, I'm going to say yes. Um, I'm going to go to Russia. We're going to go to South America. Um, Jack and I are going to go, you know, to Mississippi and visit my, these, like, cousins, like, all over the world. We're going to do all those things. And she said, well, what are you going to do after that? And I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a job, right, because I'm going to have spent all my money, like, after that. And she said, well, where are you going to work? And I said, well, I'm going to go work at Uber. And I, and she said, Oh, you are. And I said, well, no, <laughs> but no, I'm not probably, but I would like to, like, I just think that would be awesome. I just, I can see what they're going to be like. And, um, I just, you know, I, I love everything about the idea of setting the world in motion and I can just, I can see what it's going to be. And I would love to be part of that. So was this before Uber was, big or where at what stage was this um uber was definitely big but i don't think like uber eats didn't exist yet i mean it wasn't it was mm -hmm. it was kind of in the heyday where all of a sudden i think i had just used it for the first time that year first personally okay. i just okay. used it and um so the reason i live in atlanta by the way is a segue is like so i came here to with the support of the original iphone so with Converge, I moved here as a Converge assignment. Really? Yeah, to work on the launch of the original iPhone. And when I, when I saw that product, I was like, oh, that's cool. But I just didn't have any vision for what it was, how it was going to change the world. Right. But with Uber, yeah. the first time I used it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to change This is going to change the world. This is going to change everything, right? And so I just, that excited me. So anyway, I just, so I told her that. And then I went off in, and went on a sabbatical for a year. And then about eight or nine months later, I was at home in suburban Atlanta and I thought, you know, I better start looking for a job because I'm not sure how long it's going to take, <laughs> right? Like it might take a lot longer than I think because yeah. I didn't want to move. And so one of my friends knew this guy at Uber and I was like, and yeah. I asked for his email address. She gave it to me. And so I just cold emailed him and said, hey. What? You know, if you're ever looking for, like, if, if there's ever an opportunity to work for Uber, I'd really like to work for Uber sometime. And um, he answered in, like, 10 minutes 
which is com- <laughs> which is completely this is not the way that's insane. yeah this is not the way to yeah. look for a job right but he answered in 10 minutes and he said would you be interested in doing this thing and I said no I wouldn't be good at that and he said well let me have someone reach out to you anyway so I talked to the executive recruiter and I had I had like 10 interviews or 11 interviews over the course of two or three weeks but very quickly and then I uh, was offered the job <laughs> that's insane so I'm sure you've read about it and it's a little woo-woo, but like of manifesting things. Yeah, no, it's... Do you know what I'm talking about there? Are you good at manifesting things? Well, here's the thing. Like, I think that's completely... I always say I think that's completely crazy, but I, but it's almost as if you put out in the universe and it just, you know, kind of came about, right? I was really, really lucky. And I'm uh, super grateful to have the experience, but that's how it happened. Uh, and honestly, before Andrea asked me that question, I'm not sure that I really had... Necessarily you know, of course I like you, but I don't I necessarily put it out there in that way before, but it was funny. So you're interviewing for these jobs. Are you like, at this point, are you nervous at all? Like, did you really want it? Or are you a type of person that eh, doesn't really no kind of no fear around that? I was super conflicted because I said that I would take a year off and I was only like eight months in. Right. And yeah. so I was like, yeah, you know, and I, and I knew that if I, um, I knew if I did it, I would be like all in that it would be right. hundred hours a week and just by nature of what the company was like. And by nature of my personality that I, I knew that I would be like yeah. really all in. Um, so the way that I, the way that I approached it was I, people at work make fun of me about this now at the time it didn't seem weird, but as I describe it, it may sound weird. Um, I was like, I'm going to find out as much as I possibly can to be as informed going into it. So I called the person who had the job before me, who like, yeah. who had been gone for a year. And then I called and there was a woman who had the job for like two months and then quit. And then I called like every provider I knew who worked for them. I called, <laughs> like I interviewed like everybody who'd ever worked from the guy who's my boss now that I knew. I know I did these things that seemed stalkerish, but it made me like, yeah, I worked for the other company for 20 years, right? So what if this is the last company I worked for? I wanted to, you know, I wanted to know what I was getting into. Um, and every conversation I had just made me like the idea more, not less. And the people I interviewed with made me like it more, not less. So in this current role and um, with everything that's going on in the world right now, what what are your, what are you most excited about with, work projects or with Uber or like, what are you passionate about right now? We can move no, on no, to, no. but I'm just curious, like, what are you excited about right now? Um, I, you know, I'm excited about a lot of things. I think um, what I would say is, you know, the COVID crisis came maybe earlier to me than to, than to others because of the nature of how multinational Uber is. Right? So Uber is in more than 700 oh. cities now. I, I, I can't even keep track. But it was, you know, it was very much a reality of our work in Asia before it ever came to the United States. So COVID yeah. has been going on on a very intense day-to-day way work-wise for, for me for longer than, um, than it has in America, unless you have a similar type of a role or, you know, have family there. So what I'm excited about is I'll say that the leadership team at Uber and by leadership team, I mean the very senior leadership team. So Dara and you know everyone were, I would say, laser focused from day one on what is doing the right thing look like, 
right? So mm-hmm. it was really exciting to be in a room where people were talking about how do we utilize our vast network to distribute meals to healthcare workers? How do we um, responsibly help cities that are still that still need to transport people do it in a way that is safe? How do we? And so I, I think right. that if you had been there, or you know anyone had been there, you would have been surprised at how little people talked about short-term commercials or what things cost or how would we do that? It was way more about how can we help the communities where we work and live? And so I found that to be uh, inspiring moving. And there's, there's a, even right now, as we're having this conversation, um, there's four giant tech leaders that are being interviewed by Congress, right? So there's a, a bit of a distrust both with the government and with, large tech firms right now, but I'm telling you that the, the people that I work with who make big decisions were doing it in a way that was very principled and by laying out these principles allowed people all over this all over the world to make decisions that were the right ones for their cities and their communities. That was exciting. I think similar leadership, I don't know if you've seen this, but there were some um, meaningful commitments made by Uber in terms of um, helping with racial equity and fighting against uh, racial discrimination. And so, you know, Uber has really come out with some very concrete commitments on representation with our own workforce, with helping black owned businesses, with fighting discrimination on the platform globally. And so while this is, you know, currently very much an American headlines, this is not a uniquely American issue. Yeah. So I'm excited about those things. Um, You know, I'm, there's a lot of people on my team I'm excited about. So a huge part of my role is leading people. And I like that. And then I also think that, you know, the women of Uber role allows me to be in a position to affect change in a super meaningful way. And I'm excited about that, you know? Okay. So let's talk about that. What does that look like? So I know it's an ERG. Um, And for those who are listening, who might not know what an ERG is, employee resource yes. group, right? Yep. And, and what's the purpose of them? It's, um, the purpose of, of ERGs is to uh, build community within an organization and to advocate for its membership for where advocacy is needed. So, you know, okay. frankly, right, in the case of Uber, Uber has a, um, a history with women that that, which preceded current leadership with that kind of in the, the founder days, that was not particularly amazing. Right. So like Susan, so the, right. Right, you know, right, Susan right. Fowler was yeah. um, a massive agent of change. I would say like that was a pivotal moment in the company history and uh, things have improved since then, but the women of Uber really became a thing during the Susan Fowler days. And if people don't know who that is, it was, um, a young woman who worked at Uber in a technical capacity who had a pretty terrible experience and then wrote a blog about it, which went immediately viral. Yeah, way more, I'm sure, than she ever in a million years could have expected. But I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, that experience bears no relationship to my personal experience. You know, Uber has really yeah. changed over the course of, you know, that time. Um, so. Earlier, you said that you, um, it's, it sounds like you're really great at creating something that was never there before and with things ever changing. Did they have an ERG before or did you oh, create no, no, no. that? They had an ERG. 
Um, but I think, okay. that, yeah, no, we had a, a, we had an ERG. Um, but what's happened is, so first of all, Uber has significantly grown as a company since I joined. But yeah. the, it's like, here's the thing about DNI and and women of Uber. So diversity is important for organization for for four reasons. Um, but I only need you to believe three of them. So, okay. so it's important because there's a huge body of academic evidence that says more diverse teams and more diverse organizations make better decisions when well-managed, right? There's a huge academic um, body of evidence about that, number one. But number two, right. like Uber is growing and COVID has changed where we're growing, but you know, Uber is like the, one of the most amazing growth stories of our time, right? And when you're growing like that, you have to avail yourselves of the talent pool, the entire talent pool, not just a subset of it. So you've got to be able to be appealing right. as a diverse employer because we it's a competitive world and we need amazing talent. So that's another reason why diversity is important. The, the third reason why is it's, you know, Uber is an incredibly democratic offering. And by, by democratic, I mean, we aspire to have everyone as a customer, right? Ar- literally around the world. There's a circumstance where we think you should be using Uber. And if that's the case, to be able to service customers and build appealing products, you have to understand what it's like to, to need to take a bus in Egypt, right? Or to yeah. want to have a limousine in New York City. So you, you need to have diversity of experience. And with that comes diversity of background. So that's why diversity is important. The fourth reason is that I believe it's a moral imperative. But I don't, I don't need you or anyone to believe that also. To believe like that, that fourth one. That's, yeah. Like to me, that is true. But regardless of whether or not that's true, that's not actually the business reason why you need diversity. Um, it's a, for me, it's a personal reason why it's important. But you don't have to believe that to know that diversity is important. Do you feel like since Black Lives happened that corporations are responding to that and changing? So, uh, you know, I hope so. I, I um, so, so I'm sitting in my office in Atlanta today and um, my, where I live is John Lewis's congressional district. And is okay. I'm sure you're aware, John Lewis um, very recently passed away. Yeah, and in fact, passed away. And yeah. in fact, later tonight, um, I'm going to the state capitol. He's lying in state tonight. And so in Atlanta. You're going? And that Aww. Wendy's, the Wendy's that was prominently featured and is now yes. burned down, um, is about um, two or three miles from my house, right? So it, there's, a, there's a lot to take in in Atlanta right now. Um, and I, yeah. I was watching uh, Good Trouble last night, which is a documentary about John yeah, yeah, I it's don't a documentary. Know okay. It's I a don't documentary know what that about is. John Lewis, and you see, good you know, trouble, good yeah, trouble. He said, "Make make good trouble." Okay. So he was arrested forty times, right, or fifty times, but he was arrested for things like sitting at a lunch counter while being black. Right, he was arrested for nonviolent protests. So, so he's always good trouble was one of his landmark phrases. Um, and uh, so the answer to your question is, people are saying a lot of things right now and there's a, a passion i haven't seen before that that the, the black community specifically and people of color deserve i hope that um our attention span for change is long right so mm. I, I i'm optimistic i'm guardedly optimistic 
right? Yeah. It, will, it will take leaders to have yeah. a memory um, that is longer than, than the moment of today because change is not going to happen overnight. Right. And it, and it, and that, and the movie, the reason I was referencing it is I was watching it and you, there's a lot of footage through the years and I was thinking like, okay, that was during my mother's time. And you can see, you know, what was happening during my life and, and, and what circumstances are like today. So it's a, it's a long journey. So I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to shift a little bit. So speaking of your mother's time, so did your mother work outside of the home? <laughs> yeah. So um, so my mother came from, um, her parents were from rural Mississippi and like, I used to go visit my grandma in a trailer in Tishomingo, Mississippi. So I told you earlier on my sabbatical, I went to Mississippi. I went, I went back to yeah. visit, um, yeah. my cousin, my cousins who are still there. She was divorced with two little kids in the early seventies. And my father was essentially just gone. Um, and frankly, it was probably better for everyone. Um, so he was not a big part of my life. And so she was, you know, by herself from a family with no means and supporting two little kids. And my mother had a job that was, you know, very entry level. Um, in my mind, I think it probably was pretty administrative. And she ultimately worked her way up and became the chief operating officer of the organization where she works. Um, yeah, what? she had a, a very powerful story herself, actually. So I love hearing that because for me growing up, my mom stayed at home, which she was really, I mean, she did a lot of volunteer work, but I did not have, other than my aunt who ran Castellini company for a number of years, and then my uncle took it over when he got out of business school, she was really the only um, leadership model for me from a, a female standpoint. and. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't have a lot of those role models yeah, around. I think, you know, it's, um, you know, my mother's only brother was a homeless person when he died, you know, Shut and up. so oh. nobody is no, literally no one is self-made, right? There's no such thing as you have to rely on other people. But if there were somebody who was self-made, then I would say like my mother might yeah. be in that category, right? Through um, kind of like a very gritty person. Yeah. You know what? I was going to describe you oh. that same compliment. Like, I feel like you've had such grit and I've only <laughs> talked to you for, you know, today, but I mean, but it's true. Maybe you got that. Yeah, from probably her. so. I think there's, it's, there's probably an element of genetics or, or model behavior, but um, yeah, so she, that's my, so my mother did work outside the home <laughs> to answer the question. What do you think your son and daughter will get from you? Oh my God. We, um, I have no idea. You know, we, I, I used to joke cause I'm like, you know, I used to go visit my, I used to go visit my grandma in a trailer in Mississippi for spring break and they, you know, and they get to go to, you know, Russia. Like that's bullshit. Part of my language. <laughs> I mean, you know, they've gotten, they've certainly gotten a lot of experiences in terms of seeing a lot of things, but I, but yeah, you know, but I've also, in addition to having a work at home job, I've had jobs that have been really demanding travel wise for a long time. So, yeah. you know, um, I would feel tremendously guilty about things like, you know, being, being late for Ava's birthday or being late to pick people up or being, you know, gone, missing 
whatever a softball game or missing missing things right um nobody gets a free pass right so like i'm sure that so i used to be when i was living in suburban atlanta and i'd go off to work like i was so not not unproductive but you know jealous of like seeing the women who are like i'm so jealous they can just go run and go have lunch with their third grader right and then we talked about, and then I'm right. on Facebook and I'm like, oh my God, you know, you're in Venice. Venice sounds so glamorous. I'm like, well, yes, but I was there for, you know, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not Venice for two hours, but Rome for two hours. And so there are things that were glamorous about work, but there's things that are hard about it too. And that's just, that's the nature of having a life defined by time. Right. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to close us out on that because I think you had a really great quote at the beginning, which you said that um, time passes and you never get that time back. And I think that's a really important lesson for all of our, our listeners, which is around, God, take advantage of the time. Go back, go to law (laughs) school, be like, be like Lisa Stoner and go to law school. And some of my listeners know this, but I decided to take singing lessons. Oh, seriously? Are you you good? And no, I'm not, but I love it. And I'm learning something new because, you know, your voice is an instrument. It's true. <laughs> that's what my, that's what my Wait, singing though, teacher I want, tells me. This is failing forward. I want to at least share at least one or two epic failures, right? If that's failing. Okay. Yes. Do it. So, um, yeah, this is, a, I love that. This is an epic failure and I'm actually deeply ashamed of it, which is why I tell people all the time. <laughs> so good. Good. No, I'm serious because <laughs> this is a cautionary tale. So when I was first working, when I was not first, but okay. when I was a young professional, right, I would think about all the things that I that I had to do, like that you have to do. Um, and I was, uh, we were a company that had gone through different layoffs and different right sizings. And I used to work for AT&T American Trans Tech. It was acquired by Convergys. And there was this executive roadshow. And so these, these, and at the time that men, like guys in suits, like five or six guys in suits were flying in and I was a call center director in North Carolina. And I had just had my, this, that same son, my older son. And he was like, yes, yes. Eight weeks old. Baby, baby. I just had him as baby, cool. baby. And oh, that was during okay. a time when maternity leave was six, you know, six weeks long or whatever. Yes. And, uh, stupid. And also it was mm-hmm. called, and I got, took my disability leave to, <laughs> but I had my date. That's a whole separate thing. Anyway, I was, and I, but during, yeah. <laughs> I had come back to work and I was supposed to host a site tour with these exec, with these executives, these important executives. And, um, my son became sick and was hospitalized. My eight week old son was hospitalized and he had a virus and he was nothing by mouth. And I was staying at the hospital, like. I'm the third night in the mm-hmm. hospital, but I had to go give this tour, right? So I left my infant son in the hospital. My, his father, my husband, mm-hmm. was away because he was in the military. So I left my infant son in the hospital with a friend of mine who worked at the office, and I did the site tour, and it was an amazing success. Like, in hindsight, I just think... It was such an epic failure on so many levels, right? So first of all, that I um, thought that I had to do that, number one. Number two, that the, the person mm-hmm. for whom I worked um, made, 
contributed to me making you feel like that versus saying you're not allowed to come, right? Which is what, which is right. you're not welcome Stay here. in the hospital. Some things are more important from a leadership perspective. But the thing um, I feel the worst about is there were hundreds of people at work that day who must have known that my infant son was in the hospital and that I came to work and thereby defined for them what success and expectations look like. Mm. And so that was perhaps the biggest failure because like never could I go back and just say to those people um, that I didn't, that's that I would never have expected that from them. So you, you can't be a leader and tell people do as I say, not as I do. It just doesn't work that way. So I'm, so the one, right. one positive thing about COVID and seeing so many people work from home is that it has significantly humanized leaders and much, made much more visible uh, responsibilities of both work at home. And I'm, I'm optimistic about that for the future. I think that is such a good point. Like, I love that some of our leaders, like, even if they get on a call, they're walking around the neighborhood and they're not buttoned up and sitting in a cubicle, or they'll say, I'm going to take a break during lunch and take a walk. Mm -hmm. Like that wouldn't have happened before. But that's a failure. But that's, that's one thing I guess I would leave with people is like, don't, you don't get time back. And also that's awesome. Don't kid yourself into, into thinking that you have to do something that you don't actually have to do. You've got a lot, a lot more choices than you think. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I want the second. (laughs) Oh, another epic failure. Oh, geez. Yeah, oh my you God, said, I, so I thought you I said like, you would too. Failure of the I can pick the failure of the day. I know. I think truthfully, so my second biggest failure, honestly, was um, being too being too afraid to leave a job that I'd had for seventeen years. Like I seriously thought this is talk about confidence and think how ridiculous this is. I was seriously afraid. Afraid, like, what if I never get another job? What if nobody ever wants to hire me? What if I was so um, it is ridiculous right <laughs> but it, but no, it is but so many other people have that same feeling so how did you get through it what would your um, advice be around it it just was irrational and skip the step that I took if you can but I, I took the step of asking multiple people for advice and you know trying to seeking it out and mentorship and all I really wanted I don't, I, I already knew the answer. It was like Dorothy with this, with the Ruby slippers, right? But I went through this whole process of asking people what they thought yeah. and I didn't, it didn't matter what they thought. Like I just, I needed to go through the step of just closing my eyes and saying, what do you want to do? The answer was quit and quit. Like I wasn't ever going to starve to death. That was completely in my imagination. Yeah. Right. I love that. That's awesome. Okay, listeners, I I want everybody to know that like getting Lisa on this podcast has been amazing because I know how busy you are. You you didn't even know me and you said yes. So thank you. And thank you for giving all this insight and everything that you're doing at Uber. Also, I wanted to tell you that when I get (laughs) off the phone with you, I'm using Uber Eats because your husband's out of town. I'm I'm eating my Uber Eats, my Indian Uber Eats yesterday for dinner. I love that. I was thinking I was going to get Indian. That's why I was like, oh, Uber Eats can get me that. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Well, it's nice to meet you. Thank you for your time. No joke. All right. Great. Stay in touch. 
Hey listeners, I've got some great news to share with you. Has COVID gotten you to examine whether you are happy or not? Have you questioned your career, but you're too scared to explore a change? Or maybe you've seen an uptick in unhealthy habits. Well, I've been there. After closing my business, Blown Blow Dry Studio, I moved forward. I launched the Failing Forward podcast. I stopped drinking. I got an amazing new job, and now I'm ready to teach you how to do the same. Since interviewing over 65 people on overcoming fear and coaching countless individuals, I'm excited to announce the launch of Move Forward, a 90-day coaching program. And you're going to learn the mindsets and tools to overcome fears, limiting beliefs, and create a move forward life plan. And even more, you're going to feel a sense of freedom, freedom from your fears because you've taken the time to invest in yourself, you've given yourself accountability, and you got unstuck. So sign up now. There are limited seats available, but if you're interested, we'd love to hear from you. So go to our website at failforwardpod.com. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Fail Forward Pod. <laughs>